0: My subject today is on selfishness and self will. I think there's no personal attribute that is more cor- corrosive and destructive, more completely sinful than selfishness and self will. Selfishness corrodes attitudes and destroys relationships. People who are criminal people who are sinners by uh, their conduct and their regular way of of living. Um, And, of course, the degree to which uh, they are sinful uh, is a manifestation of extreme selfishness. And I think that their selfishness determines the degree of their sinfulness. I recently was listening to a uh, program, I think it was on television on um, the court or history channel, whatever, uh, some time ago. And a man was interviewing individuals in prison. And um, he was interviewing, in this one case, a man who had been uh, sentenced uh, for having committed a horrible crime, murder of some kind. Uh, while under the influence of crack or crank and uh, <clears throat> he um, the, the uh, 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 reporter was interviewing him and asking him uh, questions about himself and, and uh, what uh, what his life was like and why he did what he did and what he thought about it and so on and it was very plain that this man had no interest whatsoever in life other than to imbibe something that would make him feel good or to uh, help him to just go into oblivion. He had no interest in changing. He had no interest whatsoever in being productive and and, uh, a a part of what he would probably term straight society. Selfish people and self-willed people are blind. They cannot see themselves. They won't listen to correction. And they will not change until, that is, God deals with them rather forcefully and harshly, perhaps. Selfish people may be very religious. And their blindness and the consequences of their selfishness are as corrosive and as destructive as the non-religious it just affects society and other people in a different way. the apostle paul is normally viewed not as a prophet but as the apostle of the new testament who uh, brought a way which is uh, far more loving caring and easy to live by than the prophets of old and the uh, the patriarchs but the Apostle Paul said in Second Timothy chapter three, <clears throat> beginning in verse one, and uh, I think this has to be viewed as a prophecy uh, because it is prophetic, or was prophetic, and uh, is definitely being fulfilled. In our day, it probably was fulfilled, even in uh, the days subsequent to Paul's writing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He wrote, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, that is, self-willed and selfish, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They may have a form of godliness, he said. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In other words, the strength and that which really supports and undergirds Uh, righteousness or uh, godliness from such Paul said turn away then the apostle Paul said some of the things that that, uh, pertain and follow uh, people and that spirit and that attitude which is going to be prevalent on the earth at the end of the age in the last days this very perilous age Finally, in verse 10, picking up in verse 10. But you, Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, you have known fully my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, Verse 12, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think one of the things that, that, is, that marks selfish and self-willed people out as uh, distinct from uh, those who are giving, serving, And loving and caring and truly converted individuals is exactly what Paul has described. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7, in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, Paul wrote, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. So one who wishes to be a leader in the church of God, the work of God, has to have those attributes And that is in contrast to the attributes which are predominant in the world today. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. The Apostle Peter said, (coughs) picking up the thought uh, about, well, how... uh, God had not spared the angels because uh, in the past that sinned, but cast them down into hell. And uh, how Sodom and Gomorrah had met uh, destruction from God by His judgment. Uh, verse 9, picking up in Second 2 Peter 2.9, But the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them which walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of authorities or dignities. So we see that there is a very great contrast between those who are going to be uh, delivered from the uh, persecution time, the great tribulation ahead, and those who are not. And I'm not preaching or concerned about, uh, at this moment and this time, uh, the world. I'm thinking and, and I'm concerned primarily with people of God in God's church, in the various fellowships of God's church, or scattered abroad, at home, wherever they may be. Because many of the manifestations in the church of God today are a manifestation of selfishness and or self-willedness. Individuals who simply cannot or will not submit And will not respect those in authority, past, present, and probably in the future. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 I would not have known sin except the law had shown it to me. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. And he asked the question Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, there are a lot of people who, in, in God's church, I should say, historically in the past, uh, who have forsaken God's way because they have decided that the way of God's law was too much of a religion, uh, of uh, a yardstick religion. And I have heard this comment even, unfortunately, uh, in recent times. And uh, it, it, it applies specifically to instances and situations where we, uh, we have been required of necessity to establish rules to establish some uh, guidelines and some rules and some regulations. This pertains especially and particularly to our group functions for young people and uh, our teenagers. The idea is that if you tell me how to dress or you tell me how I am to deport myself at a church function, this is a yardstick religion. And I'm here to tell you that if that's how individuals wish to judge and to determine the religion of God, then they're going to have to say, I don't accept the way of God and that yardstick which He gave us in Exodus 20. That is the Ten Commandments. Because that is a yardstick. That is a measure by which we live. We deport ourselves, and we relate one to another. Now, there's a different point of view in King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Psalm 119 is filled with David's attitude. It exemplifies David's spirit in his heart, and how he viewed God's law and God's way. He said in Psalm 119, verse 105, the, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, <clears throat> John, uh, James, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary has an interesting, uh, you know, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. I, I looked up in, in their commentary and uh, found a very, uh, I was very unsatisfied when I looked for their commentary, uh, at their commentary on uh, the Ten Commandments. You know, they have a problem, because if if they really uh, comment upon the Ten Commandments and how these are spiritually applied, then they run into a conflict with their... They're teaching their, their decisions and their, their statements on how that law applies in the New Testament era. As a matter of fact, I won't bore you with it, but <clears throat> one of the comments made uh, said how, how spiritual the Ten Commandments are, how wonderful they were, but, and then, since man could never keep them, therefore... We have a new standard in the New Testament. My words, I'm paraphrasing what they're saying. And, of course, that's the common attitude. The Word of God not only informs us of His will, and that is, of course, the law, but as a light on a path in darkness, it shows us how to follow the right and avoid the wrong. The allusion is to the lamps and torches carried at night before an eastern caravan from Jameson, Fawcett and Brown. One of their comments on Psalm 119, verse 105. Now the idea there is that the psalmist is demonstrating the need for a light to go before because certainly that light, torches carried before a caravan are not showing Each individual in that caravan or uh, each camel or each jackass exactly where to step. It shows it the path. And then they follow on that path according to where the light goes. You know, when I was a little boy, my father loved to to hunt. And uh, he loved to hunt at night. And I have gone hunting with my father when it was dark. I mean, the darkest nights of uh, of the year, when there is no moon, only starlight. And uh, my father would carry a light, usually a flashlight or a lantern. Uh, many, many, many times <clears throat> we would be walking and um, he would turn out the light. And he'd say, okay, let's stand here until our, our eyes Become adjusted to the darkness, and you'll be surprised how much you can see. And I learned how to, to walk, travel uh, in uh, total darkness uh, with only the stars uh, very, very well, and, uh, except I, I had to learn one very important lesson. <clears throat> that was not to follow him too closely. Because you, you probably know that as you pass limbs in a, in a forest, those limbs bend. And then if you're right behind the party and that limb comes free, it slaps you right across the face. It really gets your attention. And it'll tell you that you're on the right path. That's exactly the way that your predecessor has gone. But uh, it also informs you that uh, you may be following a little too closely. But a light, when we had to employ a light, was usually when there would be an overcast and there was no ambient light or light from the stars. In those cases, then, we had to carry a, a flashlight or a lantern. And uh, in those instances, uh, the light was shined out ahead because you want it projecting away from you and in front of you so that you can see where you're going rather than down at your feet where you're stepping. And uh, that's the way we would travel. I remember one night, my father and I were hunting and... uh, fog rolled in and uh it was quite uh not only dark but also uh the fog was so thick you couldn't see two three yards in front of you and uh after a period of time my dad said you know what i'm lost i haven't the foggiest idea where we are well that was really encouraging to about a nine-year-old kid and so we uh I said, well, what are we going to do? And he said, well, <clears throat> we'll just sort of hunker down here. That's a term in the South that means, uh, well, never mind. Anyway, uh, you, you just stay put for a little bit. And uh, so we, we just stopped and we sat down and in a little while the dog treed uh, an animal. And uh, my dad picked up his gun and the light and he said, let's go. We went to the dog, and when we got to where the dog had treated, he said, I recognize this place. This is such and such, and so on and so forth. And from then on, he knew exactly where we were, and uh, he knew how to get me home before it was too terribly late. I was in school, the next, as you know. The lamp, the, the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. They, they present to us how to go, how to live. They are, in effect, a yardstick or a measurement of right and wrong for us. Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, <clears throat> we read that the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you, verse 24, from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Now a woman, of course, in this case he is using a physical situation where uh, he's using women of uh, of the world who uh, would seduce uh, a young man, or uh, in the spiritual sense, then this is applicable to the false church, the fallen woman. Uh, she is referred to <clears throat> in uh, very uncomplimentary terms in the New Testament, which has been referred to earlier. Now, the law is, or the light, Uh, makes things clear and manifest, makes it clear what's right and what is wrong it enlightens the eyes of the understanding according to one commentator whereby persons come to see both their sin and their duty and I like that comment the law lights the way and makes it so that we see both sin and duty Very, very good concept, and it's a healthy one. And it directs them to avoid the one and do the other. And then there's a reference to Psalm 19, verse 8, which supports this and enhances it. Comment on the the phrase, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Commentary says, Kind reproofs given by parents agreeable to the word of God, which instruct what should be shunned and what should be performed, when attended to, that is, lived by, put men in the way of an honorable and useful life and are the means of preserving them from a scandalous and useless one. The law of God is a way that points So that we are not living a self-serving, self-seeking life, but a productive, giving, serving one. Now, an example of how selfish, self-seeking persons uh, who are untrained and uh, without self-control, an example is uh, seen in verse 25. This is Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. He said, 25 and following verses. Lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And I take it by this that that he is saying that it will break a man financially and also that the adulteress Looks for the man who has finances. I mean, that's her objective to to look for a man who has money. Look for a man who has property and take advantage of that which he has. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So, or in like way or manner, so, he that goes into his neighbor's wife and whosoever touches her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he is found, he shall restore sevenfold even so. Even though he was hungry, if he is found, if he is caught, he shall restore sevenfold in the old, under the Old Testament law. He shall give all the substance of his house if need be. I take it. Verse 32, "...but whoso commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He that does it destroys his own soul." Or his heart, I think, as the Hebrew really is. "...a wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away." For jealousy is the rage of man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. <clears throat> he will not accept ransom. He will not rest content, though given though given many gifts and repayment. Narcissism is a term that is used to uh, signify an individual who believes himself... Above the law. Basically, the idea of, of a, a narcissism or a narcissist is one, one who, who says yes to other people. This is the standard and this is what they should do and they should be held to that and put in prison if they don't. But a narcissist believes himself above that to be the exception. To the rule held uh, to others or to which others are held. A narcissist is a very selfish person and he deludes himself that he has special needs and special rights and he conducts himself and deports himself accordingly. But on the other hand, wisdom from a loving father. Says, Proverbs chapter 7, Proverbs 7 1, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers, write them upon the table of your heart. Say unto wisdom, You are my sister, and call understanding your kinswoman that they may keep you from the strange woman, from the stranger which flatters with her words, because she will appeal, my words, my comments, she will appeal to the selfishness of the foolish. Now, let's take a look at the Ten Commandments a moment, and uh, let's review them. Uh, The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Why would anyone view that as an impossible and unattainable yardstick? I'd like to know. Is it because they wish to worship God in truth and uh, from a sincere heart? Or is it because they wish to be free and to be permitted to live as they please? Second commandment. Verse 4, you shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. For I, the eternal, your God, am a jealous God. That is, I have a standard. I, I live by and I believe in a standard visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, James, uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's comment on this under the third generation of them that hate me is this, as, quote, "...as all idolaters must be thought to do whatsoever love and affection they may pretend to God... By worshiping idols before him, besides him, along with him, or him in them. That is, they are pretending they are they are pretending that they are worshiping God through the means of idols. The third and fourth generation are mentioned because sometimes parents lived to see these. And so with their eyes, they should behold the punishment inflicted upon their posterity for their sins, which must be distressing to them. I think there is validity, at least in part, to this comment. That idolatry. And, 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 and we can commit idolatry in so many different ways by holding to our own opinion by being self-willed and by being totally selfish rather than outgoing and loving and caring and God-willed and so that our own minds and our own ego our own desires become our God And showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. What man or woman does not feel jealous for his or her mate? I think only in a corrupt society of uh, selfish individuals is it not true that there is a sense of jealousy over one's mate. I'm reasonably sure, however, that those individuals who themselves are uh, promiscuous have less of a sense of jealousy. In other words, the standard is lower. The standard is broken. They, They may be jealous, but in their heart they know they don't have a right to hold that other individual to a higher standard. Why is it then that so many uh, horrible crimes are committed in rage in a world that is totally promiscuous? Why does God hold us to a standard of worshiping only Him, being faithful just to Him, just like a husband or a wife should Be faithful to his or her mate and be held to that. Is God selfish because he asks us to live by that standard? I don't think so. Not at all because living by that standard produces the fruit. It produces good. It produces peace. It produces harmony. It produces what is good for us. What is good for mankind, for his, his people. Now, selfish people want to have God <clears throat> and live uh, the way of the world at the same time. That's selfish and that's self willed. And it leads to death and it leads to heartache and it leads to all kinds of, of difficulties in this life. The Ten Commandments are or represent the character, the nature, the standard of God. And I believe that we are committed to that standard. If people in the world wish to call it a yardstick and they wish to say that by our measuring our personal conduct and the conduct of our young people in activities that are sponsored by the church, that are conducted at our feasts and so on, then so be it. Let the world think what they want to. But with us, this is the way we're going to walk and this is the way we're going to live according to the standards, principles, which are established by the law of God. We're to remember certain things. The Sabbath day is an example of that. We're to honor our father and our mother that our days may be long upon the land which the Lord has given us. You know... When I was a child, I may have mentioned this before. I don't know. I don't think so. I was uh, maybe four years old or five, perhaps. I had no younger brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters were all older than I. And uh, so I, I really felt deprived. I mean, why couldn't Dad and Mom have another little brother for me? So I could oppress and pick on him, you see, like I I felt I was. Well, uh, my uncle and aunt, who lived on the next farm down from us, had a baby boy. They had four daughters, mind you. And finally, they got a boy. My grandmother was ill at the time, and uh, she had TB, and she was dying, and my mother And my aunt were caring for her in their home. And this little boy uh, came along. So I became babysitter during the convalescence of my grandmother for this little uh, cousin of mine. And, you know, I developed a tremendous fondness for him. He was that little brother that I didn't have. And so for years, he was my little brother. Um... He was pampered, and he was petted. He was given virtually everything that he wanted. Uh, He was not disciplined. And uh, it just would grind my teeth when I would listen to the exchange or interchange between him and his mother until one day I was playing with him, and it was one Sunday afternoon at his home, and his mother came out, and she said, told him to do something, and uh, he stood up and cursed her to her face. <clears throat> and I mean it was awful. I was shocked. I'd heard a lot, but that, that really, really uh, upset me. So she turned and walked away. She didn't correct him. And I said to him, uh, <clears throat> his name, I said, don't ever do that again. Don't ever speak like that to your mother. Because there is a law that says you are not to curse your father and your mother. And if you do, you're going to pay a certain price. I had read it. I had just read it in the scripture not very long before. Well, he turned and he uh, gave me some of his mouth and uh, informed me he'd do as he pleased. didn't much matter what I thought uh, and so on. And from that day on, our relationship... Deteriorated to the point where eventually I, I would not go to his house. I graduated from school and went away to college, eventually came back <clears throat> and uh, I was uh, pastoring churches in Memphis and Little Rock, Arkansas and he by that time was grown and uh, was in college. Uh, it was during... Uh, the time when uh, the Vietnam War was uh, heating up and he he was given a notice uh, by the draft board to come and uh, take his physical and so he went in for his physical and uh, he came back and he was a changed man. You see, the doctors had found that he had a congenital disease that was fatal. <clears throat> uh, at that time at least it was viewed as fatal. That he would probably not live <clears throat> past twenty five or twenty six years of age. Well I was I was very sorry when I heard. But I was pastoring and uh, <clears throat> one day I, I visited this man. He, he was an ex-convict. Had served a uh, number of years for uh, manslaughter. He'd, he'd killed his sweetheart uh, while he was drunk, and uh, he had served, uh, I think, seven, eight years, and whatever uh, his term was. <clears throat> and um, he'd begun to listen to the broadcast and requested a visit so I I visited him a couple of three times and uh, was on the verge of inviting him to church and uh, finally I think it was on a uh, Thursday Wednesday or Thursday I invited him to church he didn't come the next Sabbath he didn't come and he lived right there in town so I I thought well wonder what the problem wonder what happened My wife and I went uh, away on trip. I came back, and while I was gone on that trip, my cousin had uh, been driving south of Little Rock, and uh, he had been run off the road by another car or hit, struck a glancing blow, and knocked off the road. His vehicle went into a power pole, and... It killed him instantly. He didn't even live to be 25. It was as if there was a sentence of death on him that he could not or did not, would not be avoided. And I was more grieved and shocked when I learned that the party who was driving the other car was the man I had invited to church a couple weeks earlier. Weird. Unbelievable. Unbelievable how things seem to come together and how sometimes uh, in spite of, of God and His mercy, uh, it's, it's as if God says enough in order to prove or to establish or... to to teach a lesson. Now, I was very young, and I was very, very hurt over the loss of my cousin. But when I heard the whole story, I was at least comforted to know that he will come up in the resurrection and he will learn, he will know that God's, God's standard is not to be trifled with and to be self-willed and stubborn and not respond brings with it a certain price. Now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Don't think that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy... But to fulfill. Now there are a lot of people who will tell you that 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 means that he didn't come to to uh, destroy, but to do away with, nailed to the cross, etc. I mean, <clears throat> uh, it, I'm amazed, honestly. I I am amazed at the games that people will play uh, with their own future, with with life itself, in an effort to maintain themselves in their own will because they have they have established something for themselves which they will not give up they are self-willed and they are selfish they will not be corrected jesus said uh, truly, verse 18, "...till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven." Now, you know, we're, we're all teachers of, of if we have a family... My father and my mother were were teachers. They taught us, eight of us, how to live. They taught us standards. They they taught us rules and, and, uh, if you please, uh, a yardstick by which our lives were to be governed. Jesus continued in verse 20, But I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he said, you've heard of old time by them of old time. You shall not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, verse 23, if your if you bring, rather, your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you, leave there your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation, one to another, is very, very, very important. And I think sometimes... Uh, we assume that the individual who who committed the offense has a responsibility to come to us and to to in effect apologize and and then go through the jump through the hoops. We have no responsibility other than say yeah go go at it. No, we have a responsibility. We. When, when a brother who has offended us has repented and comes to us and in a repentant attitude and a repentant state, we then have a responsibility to reciprocate by forgiving. Proverbs chapter 18. Let's turn back to Proverbs chapter 18 starting in verse 1. Through desire, a man having separated himself seeks and intermeddles with all wisdom. Through, through a desire, a man having separated himself, that is, having, uh, being, uh, some would say, antisocial, self-centered, uh, being unreasonable. Commentary. The commentary in Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says, An antisocial person, in reference to this verse, verse 1, An antisocial person is is self-centered. I would say self-willed and self-centered and unreasonable. He cannot be reached. This verse does not describe someone who is merely unfriendly or unsociable, but one who is an enemy of society. Its message is a warning against being a schismatic. The missionist uses this passage to teach the necessity of not separating from the community because people have responsibilities as social beings. The first line of the verse is difficult and complicated by a textual problem. Instead of reading the one who separates himself seeks his own desires uh, or selfish ends, one translator reads uh, translates it seeks his own occasion or his own pretext. Actually, I take it what he is is pointing out here is that an individual who becomes exclusive or who wishes to exclude others, either way, is an individual who who has a personal problem inside and uses that or a. This external thing as a pretext for not forgiving, for not responding, for not being a uh, willing to uh, uh, bring back the, uh, the the offender. Verse two: A fool prefers to give his opinion rather than acquire wisdom. <clears throat> Now, well, that's an interesting thought to follow on the first verse. A fool prefers to give his own, his opinion rather than acquire wisdom. One commentary, commentator says, he has a closed mind and an open mouth. Love it. By right, means of antithetical, anti antithetical uh, parallelism we learn what the fool does and does not do Quote, he finds no pleasure in understanding instead of gaining understanding he loves telling what is on his own mind he delights in airing his own opinion to uncover, reveal, betray his own opinion McCain observes that this kind of person is in love with his own ideas and enjoys spewing them out This is the kind of person who would ask questions to show how clever he is rather than for the purpose of learning. Proverbs, uh, aren't they beautiful lessons? Aren't they beautiful for us? Because they, they help us to see ourselves as we probably are seen by God. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter one and verse, uh, let's start in verse. Uh, well, let's see, let's start about verse, uh, to get the thought, verse twelve. <clears throat> Paul said, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Notice what a, a, a nice uh, attitude the Apostle Paul, instead of being thinking and turning inward and thinking of himself, turns it outward. This happened to me. All these these troubles I've had, all the beatings, uh, all of this is to for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, What a wonderful spirit and attitude. And I think it's the one we need to emulate. Verse 13, "...so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord..." Verse 14, "...waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear." a little problem however and Paul was not unaware of it and he did not deny it but notice how he dealt with it <clears throat> some indeed verse 15 preach Christ of contention not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds now here he's talking about that individual well never mind let's, uh, let's, let's go on because I don't want to get personal about current affairs But you might know that there are individuals who uh, have that spirit and attitude, uh, probably have in every generation of the church since the days of Paul. But the other, verse 17, of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, verse 18? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Now that's a wonderful spirit and attitude of uh, selflessness. The antithesis of selfishness, which was uh, portrayed by those who would, would preach the gospel in order to add to Paul's bonds. What a, what a man. James chapter 3. <clears throat> the Apostle James, uh, in, uh, if we start in verse 1, gives a caution here. Brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. It should be. That is, uh, we're held to a certain standard. And uh, masters or teachers are going to be held to a certain standard, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation for or standard or judgment, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to, uh, also to bridle the whole body. I don't suppose there's I've ever known a person who is uh, uh, not... Uh, fit into that category. I think we all cause offense. Sometimes it's a comment that we make uh, just offhandedly. We 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 may respond and maybe said in if, as far as the intent is concerned innocently, but we all offend, and that's too bad. And uh, when that happens, then what we read in Matthew applies, then if there is a problem, then we go to that other individual uh, and we try to work it out, knowing that that is very important in our reconciliation with God, in our approaching God, in a true and proper spirit. He said, We put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth or desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. What we say, what we do, how we deport ourselves among ourselves is going to... Uh, ha- it, it will just happen that it will cause offense. I guarantee you. This is what happens when we all get together. When I was a child, I think uh, uh, my school consolidated when I was in, oh, let's see, I must have been about uh, nine or ten years of age. <clears throat> I, I started school in a one-room country schoolhouse with six grades. And there was a consolidation effort, and so uh, I was uh, brought into a larger school. I remember so well uh, the teacher and the, the, what I guess you'd call, orientation, you know, when those of us who brought in uh, from the outlying schools, the little one-room country schools when we were all together, she taught us a little song. And uh, the idea was to help us to all integrate and come together and get to know each other. You probably all have sung it or heard it too. When we all, when we, the more we get together, 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 the more we get together, the happier are we. For your friends or my friends, and my friends or your friends, the more we get together, the happier are we. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. There were more fights on the school ground that first year because we got together. (laughs) And there was hostility and and opposition from what we call the town boys, the town kids, and those of us who were from these outlying uh, country schools. Uh, It took us uh, at least one full term uh, in, in order to sort out who was on top, and who was in the middle, and who was on the bottom? You know the pecking order, and I'm not sure we got it all resolved because it was still some of that was still going on uh, my senior year. <clears throat> At least on my part, it was. <laughs> I won't. I shouldn't tell you what I mean by that. James chapter 4 verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? That's what I'm talking about. Well, come come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you have not because you ask not. And You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. And so this is what again this gets us back to the problem that we have is self selfishness and self will we have ideas we have opinions <clears throat> we we have beliefs of what is right and what is wrong and how we should deport our lives, or at least how the other guy should deport his. And uh, so therefore, unfortunately, we air those opinions and we begin to have wars and strife, even within the church. Now, I think if we look at history, we'll see that those little wars that began in little congregations and this congregation in this area against that congregation in another area and then different countries and so on ultimately came to some uh, horrible grinding uh, inter-church combat and warfare and persecution. And all you have to do is just read church history. You know what I mean. In summary... <clears throat> Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Let's start in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse one, and let's read Jeremiah 17:9 in the context of the whole in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse one. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. What was in here and out there in the outward profession and action religiously and, there, and how they... How they conducted or deported themselves religiously, the sin of Judah it was apparent from what was in inside their heart, and also how they they uh, conducted themselves religiously, verse two, while their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. My, O oh, my mountain in the, in the field, I will give thy substance and all your treasures to the spoil and your high places for sin throughout all your borders. And you even yourself shall discontinue from your heritage that I gave you. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you know not. For you have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. "...thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man, and makes his flesh his arm, flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the eternal. For he shall be like the uh, heath in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited, dried up, shriveled, dead." Blessed is the man that trusts in the eternal and whose hope the eternal is for he shall be as a tree planted by the water and that spreads out her root by the river and shall not see when heat comes but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought neither shall cease from yielding fruit and not being careful in the year of drought means not have to Pull back in production because sustaining and, and, uh, the, the heart and the, the stalk of the tree. Preserving the life of the tree. But rather just be able to go ahead and, and uh, produce uh, leaves and, and, uh, and fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Question mark. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In other words, what I understand from this is you and I don't know our heart but He does, and He tests us in order for us to come to know what He knows. And sometimes that's very, very painful, and uh, it, it, uh, if, and sometimes we want to hide our eyes from it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to look at it because it's just too painful. And uh, we have to, uh, if we're not careful, if we're selfish and self-willed instead of, Listening when he reveals to us a flaw we have in our character. If we won't listen, then it continues, and he has to show us again and again because his objective is for us to come to see ourselves as he does and. The objective is, on his part, is to be able to give us rewards. That is his objective, to give us rewards, to give us a position in his kingdom, to use us for all eternity, serving other people and for good. Yes, God knows our heart. And in this life, God is showing us by the trials and tests that we have, he's showing us our hearts but selfishness is central to the carnal nature that's, that's natural looking after and thinking about the self is just natural some of us were blessed in that our parents and the circumstances of our formative life our early years was such that we began to be disciplined and to share, you know. Uh, growing up in a family of eight, I had to learn to share. They had to learn to share. Uh, each new child that comes along takes away some from the the others earlier, or at least uh, it uh, takes away some of the attention and the time uh, of uh, the parents. You know, <clears throat> uh, my mother was most remarkable. Uh, Giving and sharing and serving woman person, I think, I've ever known. Um, I could tell you stories all day long of, of the sacrifices my mother made. And most of, many of them, if not most of them, were never known by the majority of the family. The personal sacrifices she made... Had to, were probably only known to her and perhaps to my father, because we children were oblivious. This is quite likely true in most homes, I, I suppose. But along with that, she also, because of necessity, taught us to share. When I was a child, uh, probably 12, 13, <clears throat> I had wanted a denim coat. You remember those beautiful Levi denim jackets that I, I mean, I, I wanted one of those for I don't know how long. I finally got it one fall. I got my beautiful denim coat. And I was so proud of it. I never wore that. I hung it in the closet because it was a little too early for, uh, to need it. And I wanted to preserve that coat for later in, in the fall. It was cotton picking time. And uh, a mile or so down the road, a <clears throat> neighbor's house uh, caught fire while they were picking their cotton. Uh, the little, some little kids were at home and uh, set fire to the house and it burned down. They lost everything they had. The kids got out, thankfully, but they lost everything. They got nothing out of the house. By the time they got there, it was just too far gone. And so there was a collection for um, the family, large family, a collection for clothing, to clothe these kids. Guess where my coat went? And to this day, I have never owned another denim coat. (laughs) Someday I'm going to buy one. But every time I think of a denim coat, I remember the fire. And I'd hate like everything for one of you to have a fire and I'd have to give you my denim coat a second time. I'm not sure I could live through that. that the, the anguish, the, the pain of giving away my denim coat a second time would all perhaps just be too much. You know, Christ in Luke, uh, Luke's parallel account to uh, Matthew uh, what is it? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes, Luke's parallel account makes a slight difference that I wonder, and I, I think it's insightful and perhaps significant for us. I'm going to end with it. <clears throat> uh, in Matthew 5, uh, let's see, what is it? Matthew 5, 48, isn't it? It says, be ye perfect as your Father uh, which is in heaven is perfect. I think that is. We understand that to be more accurately translated, become ye perfect. Uh, well, Luke chapter 6, um, let's see. Yeah. Luke chapter 6 is the, the parallel account to this. And uh, he said in verse... 30, let's pick up in verse 32. And if you love them which love you... Uh, what thanks have you for sinners also love those that love them, and if you do good to them which do good to you what ha- what thanks have you for sinners also do even the same and if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thanks have you for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again but verse thirty five christ 's teaching love you your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil verse 36 be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful be filled with mercy as your Father is filled with mercy. That is as far as you can go in the opposite direction of self-will and selfishness. The whole objective of this life that I, I believe that God is, is uh, what He is doing in, in our lives is to help us to understand what we are, who we are, what what is inside to show us our heart and then to help us to grow and to uh, overcome the natural carnal inclination to look after the self, to be concerned about the self, rather to be giving, loving, and serving, and outgoing. In the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, the um, little article on self-will I will close with, found once in the Old Testament, the word self-will. It's it's Genesis 49.6. It pertains to um, what was done by two of the sons of Jacob and of course, there were certain consequences that flowed from that. When Jacob uh, was inspired by God to proclaim what would be their inheritance and, and what would come uh, to them down downstream, um, the idea is found twice in the New Testament, in the sense of pleasing oneself, not self-willed, not soon angry. And I think we read that in Titus one seven, and individuals who are self-willed and tremble not to rail at dignities in Peter, 2 Peter 2.10. In all these texts, then, comment in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, in all these texts, it stands for a false pride, for obstinacy, for a pertinacious Adherence to one's will or wish, especially in opposition to the dictates of wisdom or propriety or the wishes of others. God has called, Christ has called us, God the Father has called us, we are being prepared to become totally selfless and devoted to service and giving to others.